It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. It's another edition of your midweek Rico Bronia. Boy, this postseason sucks. Let's just admit it. Watching every other team play well, watching the Phillies play well, it's terrible. This is going to be the longest postseason in the history of mankind, but hopefully we'll keep you entertained throughout it. We will focus today on a couple of things. Number one, a lot of emails responding to our podcast from a few days ago, if you missed it, about which was the worst season in the history of the New York Mets, and we debated quite a few years. It was a very depressing episode, but a very informative episode. So we'll touch base on some of the emails we got, some of the responses, some of the disagreements we have over the worst season ever. And then we have a further discussion, more of an in-depth discussion on what an extension for Pete Alonso looks like. We got a great email. I think it was from two episodes ago with a guy giving a very strong opinion about why not to extend Pete and using some of the examples of the past. Uh, we're going to go through basically every first baseman that's gotten a long-term deal over the last half a decade, even go back a little bit further. Some who were free agents, some who got extensions before free agency. We'll examine it. We'll see where Pete kind of fits in all of that and what our diagnosis is on the kind of contract he should probably get. So we'll do all that on the Rico. We will discuss on the next edition of Rico. I know I tweeted about it a few days ago when Pete did like a, an overnight show about it. And that is all the ideas everybody has to change the MLB playoffs. Because that's what you do when your team's out of it. When your team's out of it, you think about ways to change the format that currently exists. So I'll give you my idea. We'll listen to Pete's ideas. And there are hundreds of people who have tweeted and sent emails with their ideas. We'll go through some of the best. But let's start off with some of your emails, therecob at gmail.com, in response to the most disappointing season in the history of the Mets. If you missed the last episode, I'll give you a very quick synopsis. Pete says 2023. Obviously, 101 wins into that mess we all witnessed that ended a few weeks ago. And I argued as bad as 23 was, and it was bad, that 2017 was actually the worst season in the history of the Mets, coming off of the expectations of winning the pennant in 15, making the playoffs in 16 with all those injuries, and really the hope we all had coming into 2017. So here are some of your emails, some of your responses. We'll start with Ed. Ed actually writes, how about this burner? I don't put 2023 in my top five, and here's why. I don't know if you can count this, but you kind of have to. I'm hopeful and even excited for this team in 2024. Regardless of what you think of the front office things, it seems like we are headed towards being done and built the right way. I did not leave a bad season in the past excited for the following year. And, you know, it's crazy, but he's kind of right. Uh, when you go back and look at some of these bad seasons in the history of the franchise, we know what follows. When 2009 was the horror it was following the collapse of seven and losing a pennant race in 08, we now know what that turned into. It turned into a dark era of New York Met baseball. It only makes, almost makes it worse. 2017, same thing. Mets have that horrible year, and how did they follow it up in 18? They sucked. Had they followed up in 19? Well, they didn't suck, but they had a lot of brutal losses. Had they followed up in 20? Had they followed up in 21? So the 23 season does leave that question of what's next. 
And if you are optimistic about David Stearns and optimistic about Steve Cohen spending big and let the Rangers and Phillies be our guide, spending big is good. You just have to spend it on the right people. I could understand how you could look eventually at 2023 if things do turn in a positive way as a speed bump as opposed to the worst season in the history of the franchise. It's a fair point. I, I get it. But again, like, I mean, there's also the other outcome of expectations may be really high for next year, and it could also go backwards too. <laughs> so maybe next year is the one that we're waiting for that's going to be the worst of all time. <laughs> uh, Ariel Hoffman writes, maybe related to you, Pete. Is there anybody in your family named Ariel? No, not that I know of. Oh, maybe it's a distant cousin. Ariel writes, Evan, Pete, love the podcast. I definitely think all the seasons you listed are good candidates for worst season. But what about 2003 as a runner-up? Didn't they sign Alomar, Vaughn, Burnitz, and Cedeno that year? And they all significantly underperformed. If I remember correctly, the team had pretty high expectations and were horrendous. So the 2003 New York Mets were a horrendous team. You got, you definitely got that part right. But 2002 was also a year of expectations. And even though 2003 was far worse, that 2002 team was the team that actually added a lot of the guys you mentioned. Robbie Alomar's first year was 2002. Mo Vaughn's first year was 2002. The return of Roger Cedeno was 2002. And the return of Jeremy Burnett's was 2002. So it was actually a year earlier. The big addition in 2003 was Tommy Glavin. That was the one, and, and well, that season sucked. Glavin opened it up. They got bombed on a 35-degree day against the Chicago Cubs. So 03 was a follow-up to the disappointment of 2002. 2003 was a worse season, but I, I remember going into 03 almost realizing this ain't going to work. We already spent a lot a year earlier, and it was a disastrous season, so I didn't actually feel like 03, it was going to get much better. You know, one thing I meant to ask you, I forgot. How many seasons were they projected to be a playoff team in general or be a, you know, a high number of win total and they just fell flat? I know that you had like those wide margins, but I feel like majority of the time, the Mets, even in bad years, are always projected to be a, a above average team. Am yeah, I so wrong? Here's, what's, here's what's crazy about that. Between 1990 and 2009, so that's a sample size of about 19 seasons. And you got to take out 1994 because we never had a conclusion. And certainly 1995 where I couldn't find over-unders because it was a shortened season. So between 1990 and 2009, the Mets had an over-under that was projected to be above 500. So it's subjective on what a playoff season is. Obviously, the playoff format was different for a while. They were projected to be an above 500 team every single season but two. Now think about that. 1990, they had an over-under that was 88. 91, 88. 92, 88 and a half. 1993, 84. Now we know how those seasons went. 1994, going into that season, they were finally projected to be a bad team because they were coming off a 103 loss year and they had an over-under of 71. But even in 1996, because they had played well at the end of 95, their over-under was 82. 1997 was the last year for a while where they had a bad over-under. It was 76. They obviously overdid it because they won 88 games that year. And after that, 84 and a half, 91 and a half, 90 and a half, 88 and a half, 90 and a half, 86 and a half, 81 and a half, 85, 91, 
88, 93 and a half, 90 and a half. They didn't finally have an over under and an expectation of being bad until 2010, which is remarkable because in most of those years, the Mets were bad. So I think a lot of it was the spending. You know, we kill the Wilpons a lot, but the truth was the Mets had these moments where they spent a lot. They did. Like that 0203, like we just talked about with that email about the 03 team, it was off of spending. Early 90s, they spent. So you're right, Pete. The Mets had high expectations for a good 20-year run and seemed to fall underneath it by a lot almost every year, which is remarkable. <laughs> now, I, now I know why I'm so depressed because of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joe DiNardo writes, Evan, you made a lot of good points for which Met team was the worst, but for me, it was the 92-93 teams. As a fan who was still heartbroken by Darrell leaving, the promise of getting these players who he thought would produce was almost as heartbreaking. It just wasn't, it wasn't just that they wound up sucking. It was a team full of scumbags. <laughs> From Bobby Bonilla threatening reporters, the bleach, the firecracker incidences, Daryl and Daryl Boston rape situations. It was really the worst time of being a Mets fan for me. Funny little story. Bobby Bow went to the same high school I was attending in the Bronx. The day he stopped by the school, I was cutting class. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, it, it's bad enough when you have high expectations and you suck, which the Mets certainly had a decade later with that 02 and 03 team we were talking about. But say what you want about Robbie Alomar and his disappointment and Tommy Glavin and Mo Vaughn. No one would argue they're bad guys. No, maybe Glavin was tough to root for because he was coming from Atlanta. Maybe Robbie Alomar became tough to root for because he was such a shell of his former self. But they weren't bad guys. A lot of those early 90s teams guys were not good. You know, you had Brett Saberhagen with the bleach, as he referred to. Vince Coleman throwing the firecracker. Like, it was it was really, really bad. Oh, wait, the Alomar spitting situation was after the Mets? Nah, that was prior. That was about six years earlier. Okay. And by that point, I don't want to say he had rehabbed himself completely, but he sort of had. It was a bad moment. It was a bad incident with John Hirschbeck. I, I remember when the Mets had acquired Alomar. It was almost an afterthought. It was certainly a part of his resume, but I think we'd all moved on from it. Nate Bump writes, love the show. I'm with Pete on this one. Steve Cohen and the optimism he has generated as an owner makes 2023 the worst in Mets history. It's, it's not about the money invested or the players brought in. It's about the goodwill and the optimism his outward-facing ownership has created around the franchise. No doubt the spending is a part of the narrative, but figuring just as large as Cohen's seemingly plain-faced engagement with the fan base whose interest he appears to indulge and his very public messaging about getting the Mets right. The poor performance on the field in 23 and the front office dysfunction that has defined the Cohen ownership since its inauguration has undercut a public narrative that had emerged around the Mets as an organization moving away from the apathy and dysfunction of the Madoff Mets. In my opinion, it has drawn into serious question the effectiveness of Cohen's ownership going forward. In some respects, the Epler resignation is more troubling than the performance on the field as it speaks to an internal ethics problem that in light of the Porter and Scott dismissals is clearly a cultural problem with the front office. Will Stearns be different than his predecessors? If history is president of the future, the answer is not likely. Oh boy, he's depressing all of us. To sum up, there's no greater kick in the balls than to discover that in spite of all your failing, 
flailing. You're exactly where you began when Cohen took ownership. And that is exactly what we learned this season. The organization, it has been since its inauguration, a rudderless, chaotic mess, incapable of sustained winning even in consecutive seasons. Sadly, the historical levels of financial investment in this team on the field, the carousel of utter dysfunction in the front office, almost all of it reflecting deeply problematic character issues, the very public signing, immediate unsigning of Correa, etc., only serve to deepen the public shaming of the Mets franchise that preceded Cohen's ownership. It's happening now in the media, and that will continue as part of Mets history from Nate. How about that? That's well, well written by Nate. And that's just part one. (laughs) Part two is coming up. (laughs) So (laughs) here's what I'd say, Nate, and it goes back to the first email we got. If this continues to be a thing, if the front office dysfunction continues, if we're talking about a new team president in another two years and a new manager after this one in another two years, and the Mets don't have consistent winning, I think that email will be spot on. But I think for now, most Met fans, or at least a good amount of Met fans, feel an optimism about 2024. And so a lot of times when talking about these awful seasons or awful losses, it always is about, well, what happened next? And right now we live in that moment of not knowing what's going to happen next. But I have optimism, like a lot of Met fans. So if it turns out to be the rudderless ship we've seen over the first few years of Cohen's ownership, then I think your email will turn out to be spot on. But for now, I think there's a lot of hope that it won't be. What's his, what's his name again? The email was from Nate. who? Nate. Nate. The one thing I will agree with Nate is, I, I, first of all, I am optimistic too. But the fact that we as Mets fans have had that pessimistic feel because what can go wrong will go wrong and the taste of the, the Wilpons is still not gone and you had such a quick fall again, it's easy to dive back in. But I, I want to be and I will be optimistic, especially going into this offseason. Eric writes, I'm going to vote for 2022 which is an interesting one. Obviously, 2022 is the year the Mets won 101 games and lost in the wildcard series, in case anybody forgot. I vote for 2022 because the team was a joy and raised our expectations high. But then the crash happened rapidly in the last month of the season, not drawn out across seasons. The Mets seemed to peak with the Dodgers series at the end of August, start of September. And after that, it's like they became a different team, unable to hold on to the division lead against the Braves. Being swept by the Braves when just one win would have given the Mets the tiebreaker and likely division. No recovery against the Padres in the wildcard series. No deep postseason run into Grom's last year as a Met. Scherzer and Bassett were so good early on, but disappointed in the end. No trumpets announcing a big save chance for Diaz. In my mind, the disappointment of the 2023 Mets was a continuation of the disappointment of the September-October 2022 Mets. That last part, I completely agree with. It did feel like this season we just had was a continuation of 2022. That that final month when things started to go bad, and it really went bad for a month, and then there was that tease because of the Eduardo Escobar game against the Marlins that put the Mets in a really good spot going into that Atlanta series. But it does feel like everything about 2023 was a continuation from 2022. You're right about that. We appreciate all the emails. Sorry we couldn't get to everybody. The Rico B at gmail.com. 